Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Today we're going to preview Saturday's Kentucky-South Carolina football game. It is a 7.30 kickoff. The SEC Network has the telecast. Uh, it's there at Kroger Field. 7.30 kickoff at Kroger Field. Kentucky comes into the game 4-1 and one overall, 1-1 one and one in the SEC. The catcher coming off that 22-19 loss last week to uh, down at Ole Miss. Uh, tough game for Kentucky. Just a bunch of mistakes uh, cost Kentucky the victory in, in a game that the, they had a really good chance of winning. Uh, but lost down at Ole Miss, so coming off that loss, the first loss of the season. South Carolina is 3-2. and two. They are 0-2 in the SEC with losses to Arkansas at Arkansas, and then they lost at home to Georgia. To help me preview the game, I talked to Ben Portnoy, who covers South Carolina football for the state newspaper in Columbia. And to talk about Kentucky, I talked to my friend and colleague, John Hale, who covers UK for the Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com. First, I want to remind you that you can get a subscription to the Herald-Leader Leader or Kentucky.com by going to Kentucky.com, hitting on the subscription tab and checking out all the offers for subscriptions. We really uh, we really appreciate everybody who supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Herald Leader. Appreciate everybody who supports the podcast. Give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. That just helps more people find it. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to our interviews first with Ben Portnoy of the State Newspaper in Columbia on the Gamecocks, and then we'll be talking to John Hale of Kentucky.com about the Wildcats. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Ben Portnoy, who covers South Carolina for the State Newspaper in Columbia, another fine McClatchy paper. How's it going, Ben? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for – we appreciate you doing this. Uh, South Carolina comes into Kroger Field Saturday night, 7.30 game on the SEC Network. Uh, the Gamecocks are 3-2, and 0-2 in the SEC, but they've had a pretty tough oh, – two tough opening games to conference play. How have they played overall to this point? Yeah, it, it's been an interesting – team to track frankly just because it's it's we're five games into the season and and to be honest I, I don't know how much we actually know about this south carolina football team i mean they've beaten three teams in georgia state uh south carolina state and charlotte that aren't particularly good um gosh sorry <laughs> that's okay um, here we uh, you're we a man get, in demand over sorry about that yeah no we, no we keep going you're uh, you're a man in demand there ben <laughs> I know my phone's ringing um, off the off the hook there, but um, no, you know this is a South Carolina team that I think we haven't really learned a lot about even through five games. You know they they beat a sort of mediocre team in, in Georgia State, Charlotte, and South Carolina State, and then SEC play played two really good teams in Georgia and Arkansas. And so I think that it, it's hard to get a true read uh, on South Carolina just given who they've played and that you haven't really seen them match up with anyone that, that you feel, you know, that they might be in the same stratosphere as, frankly. Um, and I think that, that that makes it interesting. I think that, you know, this is a game that, at least on paper, I think that you South Carolina feels like it can match up in, at least talent-wise and things like that, and sort of the construct of a roster. But, um, you know, it, it's a stiff test, and I think it's really a, a measuring stick game for Shane Beamer and this program and where they're at and uh, now sort of mid, midway through year two. Yeah, speaking of that, you're midway through year two. There's a lot of buzz in the offseason uh, leading up to the season about South Carolina. Uh, I mean, Shane had a good first year. Looked like he made a lot of progress. Recruiting was going well. A lot of people are talking about that South Carolina could be maybe a surprise team this year. Did you buy into that buzz? Well, I mean, what were the expectations for this team? 
Yeah, you know, I, I probably bought into it a little bit. I think that this was this was a team that I think that on paper last year was probably I don't know a three win team. Now they overachieved and and got the seven wins, won six in the regular season, beat some folks they should probably shouldn't have or at least weren't expected to. Uh, and you know that sort of springboards the offseason, right? And so there's been a whole offseason of optimism and excitement. But again, I think that even in this transfer portal world and how quickly rosters can flip and all those things, South Carolina was still a year, two years away from from really flipping this roster. And I think that because of that, I think expectations got a little out of whack um, heading into this season. But that said, I, I mean, this is a more talented South Carolina team than it was a year ago. I, I mean, if you just look at the roster top to bottom, this this is a better football team than it was a year ago. Uh, they've looked faster, strong, bigger, faster, stronger, all those things that you would hope out of uh, an offseason would bring, and especially a second offseason under the same staff. Uh, those are all good things. Now, that said, uh, I still think that, you know, I think for me, I felt like this was probably a 7-5-ish and five-ish team. Uh, I think that if everything broke right and they, you know, won a bunch of games that they weren't supposed to, they could maybe get to eight. But I, I think this is a seven and five team probably on paper still. And I think that, you know, that's still out there and achievable. And I think that, you know, this is certainly a game that South Carolina fans and, and folks in sort of our business have circled on this end of things uh, as, you know, a game that they that that, you know, folks think can South Carolina has a chance to win. And I think that this is. You know, that's why this game, I think, at least measure, ma- matches up as such a uh, such a measuring stick. Speaking of the transfer portal, uh, Spencer Radler, the South Carolina quarterback transfer from Oklahoma. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about him in the preseason. How has he played up to this point? Yeah, Spencer's been an interesting case because I think that his numbers don't necessarily bear it out how well he's played. I think that he had a really good game at Arkansas. I went for 370 yards and that's his you know, career high at South Carolina in five games. So I'll be at a, a really small sample size, but he's looked a lot better the last two weeks. I think some of that's been a product of who South Carolina has played, but you know, frankly, South Carolina hasn't really had to lean on him in a game outside of the Arkansas game. I mean, that game got into a little bit of a shootout uh, and, you know, ends up a 44 30 finals, you know, a ton of offense on both sides and South Carolina truly couldn't run the ball in that game too well either. So I think that was another big piece of it. But, you know, when you look at it, I mean, Spencer's completing about 65% of his passes. Uh, He's completed 73% or better of his passes in the last two games. Uh, You know, the numbers aren't eye-popping. He's thrown a bunch of interceptions. Now, two of them that came last week weren't his fault. They both went straight through a receiver's hands and and didn't really fall on him. There's another one that happened in the Georgia State game that was kind of a similar situation. So, you know, again, the numbers don't necessarily bear it out. It probably looks like a more sort of of middle-of-the-road start to his first five games than, than you would expect or hope if you're South Carolina. But, you know, I think he's played well. I think he's definitely shown those flashes of those holy cow throws that I think we we all got used to seeing at Oklahoma in his, you know, big year as a starter in, in 2020. And I think that, you know, those are the things that on tape stand out, right? I mean, I, I was talking to a coach at South Carolina State the other day about this sort of similar thing. And, you know, one of the things they told me was that, one of the things that impresses you so much with Spencer Rattler, it's not even the passes he completes, it completes the passes he overthrows or misses, you know? Mm. And I think, you know, sometimes people throw the same thing out there about Will Levis, but in the sense of like when Spencer Rattler throws a ball away, 
he can throw the ball from one hash mark to the other without thinking about it on the run and, and just fling it out there and throw it to the opposing coaching staff trying to get a ball away. And I think that that's, that's one of those things that, you know, certainly you'd rather complete a pass, but when you have to get the ball out and quickly and get it away, you know, trying to evade a sack or whatever, like those are the things that I think that, that stand out some is the arm talent and all those things. But, you know, the numbers don't necessarily speak to it totally, as I said before, but I think that he's played better than you'd think. And I think, again, this is a, this is a game that I think that if you're South Carolina, like you need Spencer Rattler to play well on Saturday in Lexington. Yeah. Who, who are some other guys on the offense that Kentucky fans should look for? Yeah, I think that Antoine Wells at receiver is one that, that's an interesting case. He's a transfer too, comes from James Madison. And I mean, shoot, we've seen what James Madison has been at 4-0 and, and, and making their jump to the FBS. But, um, you know, he's a guy that pretty much rewrote James Madison's records book. His record books at receiver in, you know, 18 games, if that. Uh last year and the year before. So he's a guy that has been really good. He had about 189 yards, if I remember the number right, uh, against Arkansas. He's been a little bit uh, hit or miss the last two, three weeks, but he's a guy that should factor into the equation and probably will draw a lot of attention. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd at running back is a guy who's a former sort of fringe five-star, high four-star guy uh, out of uh, out of Delaware and played at uh, Maryland Powerhouse in DeMatha. And he's a guy that Towards ACL is freshman year was kind of coming back from that last year and now really looks fully healthy and, and has been the bell cow for South Carolina and, and really looks the part of a guy that can lead a lead the charge at least back there at running back and I think that's an interesting one to see sort of how South Carolina is able to run the football against this Kentucky defense because I think that you know the last two weeks South Carolina has been able to run the ball mostly at will but in games against Georgia even Georgia State and you know Arkansas as well they, they've had trouble really matching up on the run and, and being able to get downhill and and sort of set themselves up on schedule uh, early in possessions. And I think that that's been a big problem. So if Marshawn Lloyd can get going, I mean, that bodes well for South Carolina. But if, if Kentucky can slow down South Carolina and make it past the ball and be a little bit more one-dimensional, I think that, that, that I think, makes a big difference this weekend. Yeah, Mark Stoops, when we talked to him on Monday, he was very complimentary of Marshawn Lynch, uh, you know, a guy that they watched as well coming out of high school and know, and know something about. What, what about the South Carolina defense? How have they played at this point? And who, who are a couple of guys to look for on that side of the football? Yeah, the defense is is sort of what we were saying about the offense as well. And the run game is a group that hasn't necessarily stopped the run well this year. It's had some issues. I mean, Arkansas ran all over South Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Now, Arkansas is running all over just about everyone. But, right. you know, th this is a team that hasn't stopped the run great in sort of a year and a half under Clayton White. Some of that's been a product of personnel and everything else. But it's a group that hasn't been great against the run, but has been really good at pass uh, in the against the pass. And I think that that's, that makes for an interesting matchup. Now, South Carolina's got some injuries. They're really thin at defensive end already this year. Uh, Jordan Strawn's out for the season, and he was projected to be a starter all year uh, coming into this season and, and a future sort of NFL draft pick. And he's out for the season. That's left couple of younger guys, Gilbert Edmond, who's a third-year sophomore, but was only about 17 when he got to South Carolina. So it was a really young third-year guy um, who's had to put on a lot of weight and grow up really quickly. He's going to start at defensive end. Uh, and then at linebacker, I mean, they lost their starting middle linebacker in Mo Caba. Uh, who again was was projected as a starter this year and beat out a six-year senior in Sherrod Green uh, to start this year. So uh, he's done for the season. So that leaves a few holes and, and we'll see on who's healthy in the secondary. I mean, South Carolina has been pretty banged up on that side of the ball and, and looked the part of it when they were kind of <laughs> undressed by Georgia a few weeks ago. But um, this is a group that I think, you know, 
it, they've played it better than you would see on paper again. I think similar to what Spencer Rattler, what I was saying about Spencer Rattler, but I think that this is a group that I think uh, Kentucky is going to have some chances to make for some big plays. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a few coverage busts and things like that. I mean, South Carolina has been susceptible here and there. And I think that, you know, it, it's a really interesting matchup against probably the best quarterback that South Carolina has played all year. Yeah, it should be. Uh, what about the kicking game? How they looked in the kicking game? Yeah, South Carolina having to replace a 60-year senior in Parker White, who's the all-time right. points leader at South Carolina. Um, and Mitch Jeter has looked really, really good. He hasn't had any misses yet so far this year. He had a couple of 50-yarders in his first game uh, as the starter and, and has been really accurate. Uh, now, in the sort of other side of this, is South Carolina has gotten really tricky and done a lot of funky things in the kicking game, uh, whether that's a few onside kicks, some fake punts, some fake field goals, sort of the muddle huddle uh, extra point attempts. Uh, we saw last week in South Carolina converted a two-point conversion on that. So they, they do a lot of tricky things, and I guess we should expect that with Shane Be- right. Beamer being the son of Frank Beamer um, right. and kind of all the, the things king that, of that, that Frank yeah. brought it. Yeah, exactly, and all the things that Frank brought at Virginia Tech. But uh, this is a South Carolina team that's going to do a few funky things in the in the kicking game for sure, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them pull out some of the stops uh, this week against Kentucky, but um, or at least show it. You know, I think and that's something that that you know you at least make the opponent think about it uh, for sure. But it's a group that I think is generally pretty sound. Kai Kroger is a guy that I think could be an All SEC punter by the end of the year. I mean, he's a really really sound and steady guy uh, back there, and and is a perfect three for three in his career as a passer for what's that for what that's worth. So he's got a heck of a passer rating that's kind of video game-like. But, uh, yeah, this is a South Carolina team that's going to do some funky things on special teams. They're really interesting. And, and frankly, it's not you know, your run-of-the-mill punt or kick or whatever. Like You're going to want to watch every every time South Carolina trots its specialists out there. There's <laughs> there's usually something funky going on. <laughs> you never know what might happen. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Now, Kentucky's beaten South Carolina seven of the last eight. I know uh, South Carolina knows that. <laughs> it's been brought up uh, from time to time. Uh, what do they have to do on Saturday? What do the Gamecocks have to do at Kroger Field to to get start to get that reversed? Uh, how can they beat Kentucky? Yeah, to me, this is the game that Spencer Rattler has to come out and throw for you know three hundred yards and and you know look the part of the guy that we thought might be a Heisman Trophy candidate a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago. I think that you know Kentucky's defense. I mean, you can speak to it maybe a little better than I can, John. But it seems like there there may be some injuries and things like that. Is there going to be a chance for Spencer to find some holes and find some some places to stretch the field a little bit with some of his weapons that he's got at receiver and tight end and Marshawn Lloyd in the running game as well? Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see South. Carolina take some shots early, uh, maybe throw in a few trick plays. But I think that Spencer Rattler is going to have to look good in this game. I mean, I was looking at the numbers the other day. I think in the last 10 times South Carolina and Kentucky played, I think Jake Bentley is the only player who's gone over 300 yards against the Wildcats in that span. And that was uh, 304 yards, I think. So just barely cleared it. And that was in 2017. So uh, outside of that, I think it was five of the last six South Carolina's thrown for 250 yards or less or even 200 yards or less uh, in that series. So it's just South Carolina hasn't been able to get the passing game going against Kentucky for basically a decade. And I think that South Carolina is going to have to be able to do that, just given that I don't think they're going to be able to run the football the way they did the last few weeks against Charlotte and South Carolina State. So to to kind of alleviate some of that pressure, Spencer Rowley is going to have to make some plays and extend some plays. And and we've seen him be able to do that. And I think he's a better mover than I think he gets credit for sometimes. But uh, that's something that we're going to, I think South Carolina has to have, and it has to find a way to slow down the run. I think that, you know, if you can keep Chris Rodriguez in check, if you can keep sort of make Will Levis beat you over the top, uh, we'll see. I think that, you know, 
Kentucky's going to have some matchup problems or create some matchup problems at receiver with what they trot out there. And, and we'll see how sort of disciplined South Carolina's secondary can be. But I think that if you can keep Chris Rodriguez in front of you, keep Will Levis in front of you, keep him from breaking off, you know, one of those big runs here or there. Um, a little bit like we talked about, frankly, with South Carolina and Arkansas a couple of weeks ago and KJ Jefferson. But uh, I think Levis is obviously a better passer and I think that he can make you pay. But if South Carolina can keep receivers in front of them, they should have a shot. But it's going to take it's going to take a few things going right, I think. Yeah, I mean, talking about the quarterbacks, it's a really interesting matchup. I mean, you got Radler, who going into last year, people were talking about him as, you know, the first quarterback being drafted, maybe the first overall pick. Uh, and then he ran into tr- some trouble of the during the year and uh, lost his starting job. And now he's at South Carolina. And now you got Levis this year, who a lot of people are talking about as a first round pick uh, quarterback. He's kind of in the same position that Spencer was in going into last year. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think the quarterbacks are going to be the key to this game and I think I'm a little surprised that Kentucky last I looked they're a 10 point favorite I'm a little surprised I thought it'd be more like four or five points something like that so because I think it's a pretty uh, I don't know if I would say an even matchup but I, I think 10's a little too high so we'll see what happens on Saturday yeah. uh, Ben remind the listeners uh, how they can follow you on Twitter and how they can check out all your work online uh, there at the state yeah, I can follow me on Twitter at bportnoy15, B-P-O-R-T-N-O-Y-15, uh, and then at thestate.com uh, over here in Columbia. And yeah, thanks for having me, John. Really excited to uh, get over to Lexington this week, and uh, should be a should be a fun one. I'm with you. I think we're in for a tight one. I think it's going to be a close game. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah, be sure and check out all Ben's work. They do a great job at the state covering all of South Carolina. Uh, be So be sure and check him out on Twitter and online. And Ben, have a great trip. Uh, have a safe trip up to Lexington. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, John. Okay, I want to bring into the podcast John Hale, my friend, colleague, and UK football beat writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. First of all, John, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, you know, one of those mornings where you wake up to news is always uh, an interesting way to start your day, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the news, uh, the news, uh, as we record this, we are recording this on Thursday morning. We get Mark Stoops later on today after practice, although I don't know what the Mark's going to say a whole lot, but the, the news is there are reports out there that Will Levis is questionable for the game on Saturday, that he is dealing with some sort of an ankle injury. I was told it has more to do with a toe, that it's more of a toe injury. Um, uh, and whether he's going to play or not, I I was told uh, by someone who uh, who's not inside the program but it knows people inside the program that unless something happens between now and Saturday that he will play and that the boot is just a protective measure to protect the ankle or the toe, the foot or the toe. Uh, have you been hearing anything different, John, or do, what do we know? No, what I heard also from somebody you know close to the program um, was basically the plan was always to hold him out for a couple of days of practice this week and then kind of reevaluate. And so we don't get to see practice. They let us stand outside the gate <laughs> for a while it is ending until they let us in for interviews. Uh, Will did not talk to us on Tuesday when he normally does. The word was they were just giving him a break from media obligations after all he's done so far this season. But if he wasn't practicing, it makes a little more sense, too. But I, I don't think he's been ruled out by any means, from what I understand. Um, you know, if if it's a game-time decision, theoretically, he would dress out and see how he does in warm-ups and, uh, and go from there. If you remember, there was a... I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017, but one of those years, Steven Johnson was injured for, I think, the Austin P game. And he dressed out, and they started uh, Luke Wright, the walk-on backup, 
hoping that they wouldn't have to use him. They got down 14 nothing early, I think, against Austin P and put Steven in the game, and they ended up winning. So maybe they'll do something like that. I don't know. But um, if I had to pick right now, I think there's probably still a pretty good chance he plays. Yeah, me too. I, I expect him to play, we'll, but we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, he did not talk to us on Tuesday, but that's not the – he normally talks to us on Tuesday, but not always. So yeah. I wasn't really uh, – you know, that didn't raise my antenna that he didn't talk. I mean, he talked to us after the game on on um, on Saturday, and he has, you know, he does a lot of other media stuff with the ESPN and SEC Network people and all that kind of stuff. So it didn't really, you know, strike me as, oh, okay, odd, you know, oh, you know, what's going on that he's not here to talk. But uh, anyway, I do know, you know, when Mark said, Mark Stoops said on Monday, we're, we're banged up, we're pretty banged up. And I'm thinking back on it, somebody asked about his finger, and I think Mark yeah. – said you know his finger which i guess maybe should have um, said oh is there something else going on too but really we didn't have any indication that, that there was anything wrong with uh will other than the finger yeah i, mean, I think at, uh, based on people who were tweeting at me during the game they mentioned an ankle injury on the broadcast really? on saturday but obviously he played yeah. you know for the entire game he didn't miss any time there so that was not a huge problem that kept him out of the game then Mark did say on the SEC teleconference yesterday, he was talking about like mentally bouncing back from that kind of frustrating loss. And he said, we're more physically beat up than mentally right now, but it is what it is. So he's, he's brought that up several times this week. It's clear that the injuries are mounting. It's not just Will. I mean, Jack West Jones, I don't think is going to play. Jeremy Flax might be out this game. We'll see if J.J. Weaver's back. So it's certainly a, a storyline, whether Will plays or not, that injuries could be a factor. Yeah, I heard that Flax is getting better but he may not play Saturday. They may hold him out Saturday, uh, hoping that he would be ready for the next week, that he may not be quite ready to go. So we'll see and how they that had, progresses. They definitely, in the two days we have been out there after practice, um, Zach Yenzer and Drake Jackson, who is GA now on the staff, have been working with uh, DeAndre Buford and Keontae Goodwin. And I think Paul Rodriguez is another yeah. redshirt freshman lineman. Those three guys, they have been working with them extra after practice on the other side of the field from where we're talking to players. So I think they definitely are uh, trying to get those backup tackles involved uh, a little, little extra this week in case they have to play. Because David Wallabaugh, who's the number two right tackle, obviously gave up the, the sack at the end of the game that Levis fumbled on with Flax out. So I don't know that you feel real comfortable about putting him out there. So that would be interesting. Right, right. Okay, let's 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 do the hypothetical. Let's say that Will can't go on Saturday. He can't play, uh, and you've already posted a story about uh, what the next option would be, and that would be uh, the kid from Somerset. What do we know about him? It's interesting. I mean, so Deuce Hogan, the transfer from Iowa, who was a, who came here to walk on, um, was named the backup week one. He did play in that opener, I think, briefly in the last series. Uh, but since then, they've listed it as Hogan or Sharon. I think maybe now it says Sharon or Hogan on the depth chart. And Kaya played the last series against Youngstown State, just handed it off twice. Uh, and then Saturday at Ole Miss, when Levis, after he had dislocated his finger, it was Sharon who was warming up on the sideline in case he needed to go in. So it appears he is definitely the number two guy now. Uh, in terms of what we can expect if he has to play Saturday, I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, back in camp when we saw the open practice, None of their backups really stood out. Um, looked like they were ready to play in games. He hasn't thrown a pass in a college game yet. Uh, he was okay in the spring game. 
the good news is he he's won in Kroger Field before, I guess. Uh, 2019, he, he led Somerset to the state championship through the game-winning touchdown on an untimed down at the end of the game to give them the win. So he's got a huge moment in that stadium before. Um, if you read that story that's on our website right now, there's a, a video of that touchdown from the game in, embedded in the story there. So that's nice, at least. But um, I would think if he has to play, it would be a really, really – the limited playbook they would put him out there with. And you would see a lot of Chris Rodriguez. You would hope that you could get some of those screen passes that have been so successful for them. But if I'm South Carolina, I don't know that I'm blitzing him very much. I might just, you know, stand back and cover and, and make him beat you that way. So we'll see uh, what the game plan would look like if he, if he is in the game. Yeah. I think one thing that could help him is the fact that he, if they have, in fact, as you heard that they've held will out of practice, uh, you know, that gives, uh, Kaya the reps. Uh, I would yeah. assume the majority of the reps. I would think Hogan would also get some reps, but they, you know, could get him in there and give him some time with the first team to try to get him ready. But I, yeah, if I think of it is Sharon, that definitely would be a uh, a condensed playbook, uh, and we would see a lot of Chris Rodriguez. As in, Chris Rodriguez has had a lot of success running against South Carolina. So I think we're, we might see a lot of Chris Rodriguez, no matter who the quarterback yeah. is. The quarterback yeah. is on Saturday. Um, what you wrote about the let's go back to Levis for a second. You wrote about this after the game uh, about Lev. Uh, you know, Will obviously had an up and down day at Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, he was eighteen of twenty four. He had a couple of drops. I can think of a screen pass in particular that they dropped, which looked like it was going to be a big play. But he also took a safety, which you just can't do that, and the two fumbles at the end of the game. Uh, what did you think of his performance overall? And I know you wrote that you know, fair or not, they're just going to need more from Will Levis. Yeah, I think that's where it is. I mean, it seems like in all of their public comments, we talked about this before practice yesterday, like the coaches are, even when they acknowledge that Will's made a mistake, like is he hold on, uh, holding on to the ball too long or taking the safety or some of these interceptions he's thrown, it's always in the context of like, well, we would not even be in this position without him. So like, that's the number one thing you just have to say in the conversation. Like they would not have been in the spot to win that game without Will Levis because you know, he was making some really nice throws and, um, I don't know if you technically put them as drops, but the two deep balls he threw to, to Barry on Brown in the second half were just like inches off, and they were right. you know basically perfect throws. And you know if Brown's an inch farther down the field, maybe those are huge gains too. So he can just make throws that we haven't seen a Kentucky quarterback make in a really long time. So I think that part of it, obviously, he's a he's a really big plus. But the fact of the matter is, if your offensive line is a work in progress, which it clearly is, the run game struggling. Uh, you've got a bunch of young receivers out there. If you have a legitimate top 10 draft pick um, at quarterback, you need him to play like that. They just need him to carry them um, to a really good season. I mean, we've seen it before when Tim Couch was here. You can have the number one pick in the draft and be a seven and five team. Maybe that's what they are at the end of the day this year. But if you want to talk about contending for the East and uh, doing all those things, if there are deficiencies around him, Will just has to play that much better and you just can't have him lose two fumbles in the red zone in the fourth quarter of a game against a ranked opponent on their home field. It just, it's just not going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. I think on the first fumble, uh, you know, he, he said he needs to protect the ball better. Uh, but he, I mean, he did get hit whether, you know, I mean, I don't know whether it was, uh, targeting or not and i wrote about that you know todd blackledge on air thought it was targeting the uh, rules expert matt austin he sort of agreed with todd but he basically said it need to be reviewed but he thought todd you know he agreed with what todd said uh the second 
this this and really it wasn't that hit that caused the fumble. It was the hit after that by Keys that knocked the ball loose. The second one to me, he was obviously getting pressure, but he held on to the ball too long. He's got to get rid of the ball when he feels that pressure, especially in that situation. You've got to, you know, I know the clock was ticking down, but you've got to, you know, you just got to get rid of it and go on to the next play. Uh, but anyway, I thought it was interesting on the teleconference yesterday. Mark said, you know, he did not blame Will for that. He thought the play call was such that they, uh, in the red zone, they called a play that required him to hold it too long, basically to set it up so that they should have either, you know, kept the tight end uh, in there to block instead of just having him chip and then run her out, or they should have called something that was like a much quicker read. And so he kind of put that one on Scangarello, which I thought was interesting too. Well, after the game, it was either Will or Scangarello who said it was a double move down on the yeah. goal line, which I thought, yeah, that, that, you know, I'm not, believe me, Rich Scangarello knows more, much more about <laughs> it than I will ever know. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a little curious to have a double move down on the goal line uh, in a confined space like that. But, um, uh, but anyway, uh, okay. Anything else? I want to talk a little bit about the defense, but anything else about the offensive performance going into South or at Ole Miss going into South Carolina? I think just what we saw from Chris Rodriguez early in the game gives you hope for what the run game can be moving forward. I mean, we both looked at each other after those first couple of runs and said, you know, that Cavassier Smoke just can't do that, where he takes the first hit and blows a guy off and still gets six or seven yards. That's that's a big deal, but. It was pretty obvious, too, that Chris was not up to game shape in that game. I mean, he, he had like 10 for 29 in the second half after 9 for 40 in the first half. So they, uh, I think he needs to, you would hope that after a game under his belt, he would be a little more productive for the entire game moving forward. We'll see if that happens this weekend. But I thought there was at least enough there with him that you have some hope for some offensive balance moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. Like I said, Chris is, has a really good history against South Carolina, uh, so I would expect to see him, you know, get quite a few carries. And now, you know, I know uh, Rich Gangarello's seen, you know, Chris on film, and he's seen him in practice, but now he's seen what he can do in games, and uh, I think he'll tailor more of his game plan to that. Uh, okay, I want to talk a little bit about the defense. The defense, another slow start for him on Saturday. Got down in a 14 14- zero hole but then they came back after that and played really well only gave up the two field goals had a great goal line stand uh, in the fourth quarter then got the ball back on after will's first fumble on a three and out when they absolutely had to get the ball back with the uh, you know t- the time uh ticking down in the game uh but they are also beat up uh jacques jones we don't know if he's going to be able to play we don't mark sound like we might be able to see jj weaver on saturday uh it depends obviously getting him back would be a big boost tyrell asian is playing back banged up in the secondary and i'm sure there are other guys who are banged up that they we don't know about that they haven't mentioned uh what about the defense going into saturday I mean, it's hard to quibble with how they've played so far. I mean, obviously, there have been some slow starts, but, you know, then you can just say that they're really good at adapting. I mean, between Ole Miss and Florida, they've given up three points in the second half of their two SEC games, which is really impressive. And so um, I think against South Carolina, who obviously has a a talented quarterback in Spencer Rattler, who's, you know, not a perfect player by any means. And uh, they put up really big numbers the last two weeks against non-conference opponents, struggled in their SEC games. I would think the defense, especially if Will Levis is limited or can't play, uh, might be enough to still win this game this weekend. But 
that injury situation is a, a huge storyline. I think it was on his radio show Monday night. Mark basically said that Jones wasn't going to play. Um, he kind of got had a fun back and forth with a caller who, you know, saying that uh, he needed to talk to his players about putting injury information out there, basically, because uh, he wanted to be cagey with these things on purpose when it was uncertain if a guy was going to play or not. But it looked like Jock was was doubtful. Uh, Agent did come back in the Ole Miss game. I couldn't tell if he was playing with a cast or not, but I know he was at least practicing with the cast at some point. They're already down one starting safety in Jalen Geiger, who's probably out for the year. You know, Vito Tisdale was out for the year from before the season. So depth is becoming an issue there. Uh, Josiah Hayes, the backup nose guard, didn't play at Ole Miss and didn't get a real clear answer as to what his status is, whether that's an injury or a suspension or something else. But his status appears to be up in the air right now. That's um, it's worrisome. Um, you think that that bye week in two weeks would be really helpful for them. But if they don't get to the bye week with two more wins, all of your season goals might be out of the window already. So... Um, I'm interested to see how those young guys, maybe even if if some of these players who are injured do play, if they reduce the workload and get some backups, some more reps this week. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, a couple of bright spots. So they, they both Mark on Monday, and then Brad White when we talked the defensive coordinator. We talked to him last night. Very complimentary of the way Justin Rogers played. Uh, Justin, you know, was a five star recruit. When they recruited him a couple of years ago, uh, this is the first – he's played some before, but this is the first year where he's been put in more of a primary role uh, along with the, those other guys on the defensive line, the class. And and, the, and then Derek Jackson, I know uh, – you know, he made, to me he made some big plays. I know after the game, Mark, and then talking to uh, uh, Brad White, and then also Mike Stoops yesterday, they had some problems with on some run fits uh, in the run game. But they all talk like that; those are things that could be cleaned up. If Jones can't go, obviously that hurts. But that is a position where they've got pretty good depth at that inside linebacker spot. Yeah, I would I would think that's a spot where they can handle. If you remember the Citrus Bowl, Jones didn't play either. I can't remember if he's hurt or if he was the one of the COVID guys. And so Derek Jackson played that entire game basically, you know, in, in a season he wasn't even expected to play at all last year because he had the Achilles injury in spring and initially he was thought to miss the whole year, but he came back late in the regular season and played really well in the Citrus Bowl. So he's been in those big moments before. They've got Trevin Wallace uh, also in that room as a backup who we've seen flashes from was a really highly touted recruit i assume he'll play a little bit more as long as jones is out and they even like martez thrower and, and luke fulton the, the former michigan state transfer got a few positive mentions in, in spring practice so that is a spot they have depth and um, it was interesting back in the spring i remember when they when jones and deandre square both came back for their extra year we asked mark basically are you going to move some of those young guys around to other positions so you can get them all on the field and he kept saying no because we're going to need the depth there the whole year. That's just a position where guys are going to get banged up. I think it's earlier maybe than they expected that, but uh, certainly that's going to come into, into play now. Right, right. Okay, uh, the game on Saturday. Well, one, one quick thing to the special teams, uh, and you wrote about this too. I mean, obviously uh, on the positive side, Brian Brown, 85-yard kick return, 54-yard kick return where he was accidentally tripped up by one of his own teammates. Uh, but then on the other side, Matt Ruffalo missed a 39-yard field goal, and you had the two extra points, one blocked. The other was a snap problem or a whole, more of a hold problem, uh, Mark said. Uh, and you wrote about the special teams. Really, the special teams have been had played well up until Saturday, correct? 
Yeah, it's it's just not as easy as saying that they have a special teams problem because that puts too many different things together. If you want to say they have a kicking problem, maybe, but even there, Matt Ruffalo has been pretty steady overall. And I went back and watched the field goal this morning and he hit that really well. I mean, it was literally like inches from being good. So that, you know, it was a windy afternoon. I don't know if that played into it or not, but um, the blocked extra point, the first one was low. So that was an error from him. And then obviously the snap and the hold issue on the second one was a problem. It seems like there's an injury to the long snapper too, based on what Mark Stoops said Monday. Uh, Cade DeGraz, their their number one long snapper, he said they they need to get him healthy and and snapping like he he can. They had the backup uh, Clay Perry in for the second half at Ole Miss, so maybe he plays more this week. We'll see. But it's a it's a situation where enough of the special teams units are performing well to where that this is not like you know what the first year Mark decided not to have a special teams coordinator and everybody blamed it on coaching and. Um, and then he's done that at least one other time. And now technically Frank Buffano and John Settler co-special teams coordinators, but none of these guys coach the kickers anyway. Uh, right. They do have a quality control coach, Louis Matsakis, who is a former college kicker and punter who works with those guys, but there are limitations on how much the quality control coaches could do. Most of these kickers have private coaches anyway. Mark uh, made the joke on Monday, like, what am I going to tell him? You know, kick the ball straight or whatever. So we'll see how it is moving forward. But with those kickers, it's just such a confidence thing, too. Um, I know that you have to worry about putting him back in those situations after misses like that, especially his history against Ole Miss. But, you know, I don't know they have any other option other than just roll him out there and and hope it it goes better next time. Right, right. Uh, Okay. Game on Saturday. John, what's the keys for Kentucky? Too, they've won seven out of eight over South Carolina. Obviously, that that stat has been played up a lot over the off season and this week. Uh, what does Kentucky have to do to make it eight out of nine? Well, I mean, obviously, the caveat of whether Will plays or not is going to have right. a huge part of this. But <laughs> let's assume he does play. I think the the number one storyline for me is you know this last few years, basically since Mark has been here. It's been an issue at times for them of letting one loss spiral into two or three. I mean, a year ago, they were 6-0. They lost to Georgia on game day, lost three in a row. 2018, played Georgia in a winner-take-all game for the East, lost that game, then went and played their worst game of the season the next week at Tennessee and lost. I think every year they've had at least two losses in a row um, since he's been here. So that's going to be the number one goal. I mean, all the players we talked to after the game Saturday and we talked to this week brought up the fact that All of their goals are still in front of them. They still control their destiny in the SEC East race if they want to contend there. they got to play Tennessee and and Georgia ahead of them. If you win those games and win out, you're in a really good spot. But if you let the Ole Miss performance and the injuries and all the things we've been talking about spiral and and lose this game against South Carolina, then all of them are out the window already. And so that's going to be, I think, the number one goal is, is with a veteran roster all of these leaders, can they make sure that, you know, they have that focus to take care of business this week against a team they should be? Yeah, no, I, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think Kentucky's the better team. They're playing at home. If Levis plays, obviously, they should win. Uh, but they've got to be, you know, they got to have, you know, uh, take care of business, so to speak. they got to be mentally focused on the task at hand. Um, 
Uh, we'll I I think they'll win, but we'll see how we'll see how it plays out. Uh, John obviously will have his predictions in the in online on Kentucky.com. Look for those. He's had plenty of coverage during the week. He had a story about just what he was talking about, uh, not letting one loss spiral into two or three losses. He also has a story up about Kaya Sharon in case uh, Kaya does end up playing being the quarterback on Saturday. Anything else I should alert him to, John? I think that's it. Um, it's been one of those weeks, so we'll see what else is out before Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and look forward to, uh, we, like I said, uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, so we get Mark Stoops after practice uh, later on today on Thursday. So, look, uh, we'll have something online, I'm sure, from that, depending on what Mark says. I don't expect him to say a whole lot, but we'll see what he says. Uh, and then, John, uh, tell them how they can follow you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. As always, John, thanks for being on the podcast. Look forward to seeing you well later on today and then again on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Ben Portnoy of the State Newspaper in Columbia. Be sure and follow him on Twitter and follow all of the coverage uh, at the state on the game, leading up to the game on Saturday, during and after the game. Same thing with John Hale. Thanks to John. Be sure and follow John on Twitter. Follow all of his coverage on Kentucky.com and in the Herald-Leader, both uh, up to, during, and after the game as well. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. I'll be there on Saturday as well. Mark Story will be there. Follow Mark at Mark C. Story. I have live updates during the game on my sidelines blog. Then after the game, I'll have my three takeaways. Mark will have his five things to know. John will have coverage during and after the game on Kentucky.com as well. So check out all of that. Uh, and then I'll have my podcast with Mark where we review the game and we look ahead. Kentucky gets Mississippi State uh, next Saturday, the following Saturday. We'll be talking about that game as well with Mark on Sunday. Sunday night or Monday morning. Look for that podcast as well. Thanks again to Ben Portnoy. Thanks again to John Hale. And thanks again, most important, thanks again to you for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.